When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But my, have, what um, do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. I, I, I can have it. You, you, no, no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline. And deadline. listening to me right now welcome to the second episode of the whitetail distraction podcast my name's austin and joining me in the studio today and always charles today in the studio we have a special guest charles's brother russ Hedlin. how are we doing today guys we're doing good good real good um so we're going to introduce russ here obviously he's my older brother um we're going to talk a little bit about what he does um how much he hunts and how his 2017 season went so first russ as my older brother i end up getting a lot of my hunting experience from him i stole a lot of his best hunting spots obviously and uh, the horseshoe himself the original horseshoe russ why don't you go ahead and talk about what you do how much you hunt and how your 2017 season went well i'd say uh, overall i get to hunt more than a lot of people do in pa my schedule allows me to do that because I have a four-on-four-off schedule, so that's more than your weekend warrior gets, which is good because you know, that's what I want. I chose that. But uh, as for my season, I think it went pretty well. You know, it's a lot of effort involved, a lot of time I put in, and that all worked out to basically three really good days out of the whole season that put some meat in the freezer. Yeah, so it's funny sometimes how you can go out there and grind all year long and it comes down to one or two moments to really turn a season around. And I feel like that's what happened for you. Uh, you know, it can get frustrating, but uh, you always have to remember it only takes, you know, one or two seconds until that deer starts coming in and then it changes everything around completely. Right. So uh, what do you do for work? I work in a maintenance field, basically. I do a little bit of everything, electrical, hydraulic, mechanical. Jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's 
what they require out of me, so that's what I learned to do. Yep. So what do you think about uh, growing up hunting in Pennsylvania? It's tough. I mean, it's it's not what you see on TV. It's a lot harder than that. You know, it, there's stuff you see on TV that's just, you think that's how it is, but in the real world, it doesn't work out that way. You know, you got to get out there and really put your work in if you want to succeed. And mm-hmm. even then, there's no guarantees in PA. Yeah, right. absolutely. It's, not, it's really not what you see on TV. I mean, you might have, I don't want to hate on Michael Waddell. I love that dude. But it's you don't have favorite. Michael Waddell hunting these, like, perfectly manicured properties with no pressure. I mean, Pennsylvania is loaded with hunters. I mean, we have to deal with that from opening day until the end of the season. Yeah, these guys are very fortunate. They have, and they do a lot of work to maintain some really good properties, you know, in the whitetail capital of the world, you know. They also have thousands and thousands of acres to right. hunt. I mean, yeah, it's a little different a lot here. Of public or really small mm-hmm. private pieces. Right. Yeah. You don't want to take any way, anything away from those guys. Yeah. No, no, I love those guys. I mean, it's right. very entertaining, but it's not realistic in our part of the country. No, it's not. It's, no. it's a lot tougher. Um, real quick before we go any further into hunting, I actually want to ask also, how did you initially get the nickname the horseshoe? Why don't you go ahead and touch on that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a lot of really good years in a row where I shot some nice bucks and a lot of dough and my dad nicknamed me that. Between him and my cousin Billy, they figured it was just pure luck. <laughs> and they, was there ever actually a horseshoe up your ass? I never felt one there. I mean, <laughs> all, all the times I wiped, it just felt normal, I guess. Okay. <laughs> just making sure. All right, Russell, why don't you talk about some of your uh, tips and tactics, what you use here in Pennsylvania, and just hunting in general? Um, I do a lot of... Uh, on the fly scouting. Well, let me put it this way real quick. Let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. Are you more of a bow hunter or are you more of a rifle hunter? No, 100% bow. Okay. I, I prefer not to have a rifle, but if I have to, it's going to be in my hand if I still got tags. Yeah. Freezer filled Anything time. to be in the woods, you know, I'm all about it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Even if I don't have tags, I'll hang out with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and your tactics are 100% different between bow hunting and rifle yes. hunting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so uh, for bow hunting then, I, I mean, hunting is obviously your passion, but bow hunting is your absolute obsession and the passion of hunting. I think it's one thing that you thrive to do every year, just like us. We always look forward to bow season coming around, being one of our favorite things to do every year. Um, but yeah, why don't you go ahead and touch base on what makes you successful year in and year out. It seems like you always get it done um, and just kind of touch base on what your, your scouting techniques are. Well, like anybody, you know, you have your favorite spots and they don't always pan out. So when that happens, you've got to kind of venture out from that because like we said earlier, you know, PA, it's pressure. It's hard. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can work your butt off all spring, wait for the season to start, have all the cameras you want out, but you might go to your spot and there's a guy in it and two other guys within 100 yards that you had no clue were even looking at that area. So then you got to kind of venture out from that. you got to build off of that and say, hey, where's the least amount of pressure at? Where should I start? And then once you do that, you start walking through the woods and you try to find a sign that everybody knows what it is. You know, there's rubs on trees, there's scrapes here and there, there's big trails. I prefer to find a trail that's pounded. Mm-hmm. And you will find that trail eventually if you work hard enough. 
it, it might not be within the first 600 yards you walked, you know, through even the roughest terrain, but you will find it eventually if you put the time in. And those seem to pan out well. And a lot of times that's where you end up putting that permanent ladder in that you hunt year in and year out. Right. And it stays good for a while. And sometimes they dry up too, but that's all just a, it's, it's a product of the beast. I mean, yeah. that's what happens when you get into the pressured areas. Yeah, I'd say we have a bunch of those kind of stand locations set up that we hit year in and year out. But I think one thing you do well is when those spots dry out, you don't keep hammering those spots. Right. You kind of, but you're also a uh, boots on the ground kind of guy. Yeah. You're you you're not using any technology or anything. You're using a little bit of maps after you put boots on the ground. Yeah, uh, to kind of look for different pinch yeah. points or different Definitely. places that look good on a map. Especially out the camp, you know, that's mm -hmm. a more mountainous area and it's a totally different world than hunting around home where you got a lot more fields and stuff that you can work off of food source-wise. So I'll do that a lot at the camp. I'll check the map and I'll say, you know, what's going through here? And is, there, is this an actual thicket? It looks like a slashing, but it fingers out. And you go check them spots out and usually they pan out. You'll find good sign there. Even just from Google Maps, stuff like that, you'll find it. Yeah, the maps really show up the camp because it's a lot of timber ground. It really shows you the transitions between different types of forest and, like you're saying, the different slash or thickets There's compared to the big woods. There's some super thick timber up in the woods up there. Yeah. Yeah. That's big woods. That's I mean, it's, it's mountainous. Woods. It's big woods. I mean, right. some of the spots you might be driving along the road, you can't even see into them. I mean, it's just dark, dark timber. That kind of transitions to our next question. Um how difficult it is around here to get it done every year, um, especially at the camp. It's different because there's so much different terrain in Pennsylvania that you hunt. We yeah. talked about this earlier. You have big woods forest, you have hill country, you have swamp areas, you have different areas of just, you know, big mature forest and, and agriculture, land. Yeah. Uh, ag land. Uh, go ahead and talk about the different terrain and what you might do to kind of go about scouting different terrain and looking and finding new places to hunt in different kind of terrain? I mean, I like to think I'm a little bit generic in some ways where, you know, you want to find those big, heavy-duty thickets. You know deer have been in there. You can't walk in them. There's got to be deer in there. They know the safe place to be. But at the same time, they're not going to live in there all the time unless they're heavily pressured. So you work off them. You look for what's their next food source, and up the mountains, it's usually something like a big oak flat. You know, around here, where it's just a little more farmland, it's going to be like a cornfield, soybean field, stuff like that, where they're going to go from there to there, point A to point B, and you know that. So you try to find that nice trail between the two, and when you can set up on something like that with fresh sign, you're going to have success if you put the time in. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, especially up in the mountains, I mean, there's a lot of public, so you do have a lot of pressure up there. Big time. And the deer really react to pressure in Pennsylvania. I mean, there's there's so many hunters. And our deer density, I'd say it's average. It's not super low. It's not super high. but Yeah, and it's, it's definitely not as pressured in archery season as rifle season up right. there. So that helps. Right. But those big woods, there are no real trails or defined areas that they go through. Deer can walk wherever they want to walk. There's, it's wide open. It's wide open, big timber, and you're, you have to find a spot to hunt that deer are going to walk by. Sometimes it's a crapshoot, but I feel like we're starting to really understand and figure the place yeah. out a little more. We've had the camp now, what, five, six years? Yeah, it's a sixth year. Six years. So, you know, and we've gotten some deer out of there already. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been tough, but. 
Man, that wood, those woods up there are they're they're hard to navigate. It is super different terrain up there too, especially yeah. compared to around here. I mean, you might have a big giant draw that might actually serve as a pinch point. I mean, you can mm -hmm. be looking for that. You can be going from super thick, really flat timber, like an oak flat, like you were talking about, where they're mm -hmm. hitting acorns. Mm -hmm. You might walk two hundred yards and have a big draw that runs the whole way down into a big valley, and you might have. I mean. Some of the time, just even walking up there to get to your stands and stuff, yeah. I mean, it is, it, it's pretty hilly. You, you might climb some elevation to get to your spot. Yeah. yeah. So let's go back. You touched on, uh, before Austin interrupted you earlier, you touched on the running gun kind of style where you do a lot of things on yeah. the run scouting. Uh, obviously, you have to find a lot of new spots when I keep stealing all your good ones. Uh, <laughs> what do you use for your running gun setup? Are you a climber guy? Do you usually have a mobile setup? Yeah, it's a climber on my back with my backpack full of stuff I need. And um, a lot of times what I do with that, you know, where we hunt, um, like Cal's land, we'd like to go mm -hmm. there. And you guys will hunt different spots, and we always talk, so we know where everybody's been hunting. So I'll kind of feed off of that and say, okay, well, they've been here, here, and here a lot. I'm going to go over here where nobody's been all season. We might be in the third week of the season. No one's touched this whole area of land. You know, there's mm -hmm. 50 acres over there that's untouched. That doesn't mean other people haven't, but we haven't. So we know that the odds are better that the deer are a little more uh, natural movement over that way. Right. So what I'll do is I'll put the climber on my back and uh, I'll just walk in. And I, we know the area well enough, which is an advantage, that we know kind of what we're getting into when that happens. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll start walking until I see where the freshest sign is, you know, where you're looking for a hot, hot sign. Exactly. Yeah. yeah you, mm -hmm. and you can tell, you know, you get in those muddy areas, you can see tracks that might look like they're fresh, but they're usually not. And they, those are even noticeable if you really know what you're looking for. Um, so what I do basically is I find that good hot sign. I find a tree nearby and then I try to just get the best shots that I can to not only that trail, but maybe even some secondary trails that aren't as pounded coming off to just increase my odds if they were to go down any of these three, they're all within 30 yards. That's typically what I do. And then obviously you want to work with the wind at all times, especially around here, because deer will smell you and they will run away. Right. So speaking of trees, <clears throat> what would be your ideal setup? Say you have your stand on your back and you're going into a new area. What exactly are you looking for what would be your ideal set like you walk up and you find the honey hole tree what's it look like uh the honey hole tree for me is a uh, poplar tree about as far as i can reach my arms around straight as can be that i can climb up in about three minutes there you uh, go yeah really comfortable with a little bit of limb growth on the top to cover me up but those obviously aren't realistic goals. You just can't quite find that everywhere. So right. you make do with what you can. And I've been known to cut limbs off of things before I climbed up just to give myself some cover. Yeah, I don't blame you. Know, in my stand. I'll tie them off to the stand just to break me up a little bit better. Because deer will look at you and they know you're a person. I mean, they're used to that. This yeah. is PA hunting. It's tough. Yeah, that's how you know the deer are starting to get pressured. They come walking in. They're looking up in the trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, they will. They literally will walk in and they're scanning through trees or say they busted you once in a spot and you go back there the year after or two years later. You better change trees. That same deer will look into that tree every time it goes by. And if you're in it, you're done. Yep. There's yeah, no getting away with it. Gone. Right. Uh, it's actually funny you brought that up, Austin, because Russ is known 
for probably climbing the ugliest, worst trees that you can ever imagine. <laughs> He's the only one that will ever go up in the tree. Uh, don't ever hunt his lock-on stands because hes they're made for him, not for short people like myself. Uh, you know, Typically, you'll have to jump from one tree to another like a ninja and then pull yourself up. And basically, at the end of it, it's an American Ninja Warrior, and you're up in the stand, but it's in a good spot, so you'll hunt it. That's that's how I keep you guys out of my spots. Exactly. <laughs> that's a perfect a perfect <laughs> plan, man. I like it. Um, so that 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 kind of goes well with um, we're talking a lot about your scouting and finding new spots. It worked out for you. Uh, you've shown success, and it worked out for you on the story I want to get into on your Ohio buck that you killed. Um, you want to break down that hunt and kind of give us a story on your Ohio hunt? That was uh, yeah, that was an interesting hunt. Um, it. It was one of them kind of run and gun things like you're talking about. It was just, I put a stand on my back and I said, you know what, drop me off here. Let me see what I can find. I didn't know the area. That was all new to me. So I put a lot of footwork in that day and uh, it was cold. I mean, it was real cold. Probably arguably the coldest I've ever been on stand. And you'll laugh at this later, but I started doing some walking and I had the heaviest gear on that I had on that trip. And uh, eventually I did start sweating, which is obviously a bad thing, but it's really hard to avoid when it's 8 degrees and, you know, 20, 30 mile per hour winds. That wind chill will get you. It's bad, It's yeah. miserable. So I started up through a field, you know, and I'm, I'm looking on the edges of the field, which is where you see most of your sign, and I continued through that and uh, went down one little valley and up to the top of the next one, and I'm talking little, I mean, just a little dip. And when I got up there, I saw some pretty decent sign. Like in trails I'm telling you I look for, I saw that. But I was so fresh into it, I wanted to check the rest of the area just to see if maybe that's just, you know, the high density of deer in that area caused that or if that was the main area. Yep. So I continued past it, and I never found that good sign again. Now I come up to this uh, other really big field that, you know, for guys out west, they'd giggle if I told them really big field. But around here, <laughs> big it's a for big us. field. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's... It's a baby to them. That's like what they cut grass in. They could put one of those big fields into about 20 or 20 of those big fields of ours into one of their small yeah, fields, basically. Easily. So I continued around that too. You know, I was just looking for basically entrance and exit trails and stuff off of those field edges. And I circled the whole way around and. Um, Were you seeing any scrapes or anything on those field edges? Yeah, you find a lot of them all year, and this was during the rut, so you're going to find even more. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can find scrapes all year long. You can probably find them right now if you went back, and it's July. It's just the deer like to do that for whatever reason early. They're not using it for mating purposes, but I don't know if it's an instinct or habit or whatever. But Communication um, purposes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, communicating with with each other. Yeah, they like to talk. They're social animals. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I continued around this field, and basically I got to the end, and I hadn't found anything good enough that I really wanted to hunt. So I started heading back the opposite side of the field, and I just keep running into tree stands. I mean, there was one after another. I'll bet i seen three or four of them, all within 200 yards of each other, the whole way down the field line. And it could be the same guy hunting there. You don't know that, though. It's all new land to you, so you just got to assume there's multiple people hunting there, and you don't want to be near those pressured areas. So I eventually headed back, and it's getting late at this point. And uh, that original trail I'd seen, I said, you know what? That's what I'm hunting tonight. You know, that's all I got based on what just happened. I got to check this out. And I did, and I got on what would have been the downwind side. And like I told you earlier, I tried to play off a few different trails and include that main one in my hunt. 
And what I told you would be funny later is I said how cold it was in one of the coldest hunts of my life. I wasn't in my tree stand 20 minutes set up when I shot that buck. Right. Again, it was late, but... <laughs> yeah, no, you know, nothing I, wrong with that. So I, I made a nice shot. I mean, it was a good mature 10 point, and uh, we were all real pumped about that because we'd put in the work by then. This was getting later in the hunt, and uh, everybody celebrated that night. It was a good time. Um, yeah. yeah, to kind of fill in on that, that was the first year that we went and tried a new spot in Ohio. Right. Uh, initially, we had done a lot of out-of-state hunting trips to Illinois, but as that kind of dried up with EHD hitting out there, we started to try out Ohio. And it was the second year at a, a totally different spot. So first year there, but our second year in Ohio that we went down to Salt Fork and we hunted there, all public land. And it was an area that we did a 10-day hunt. Right. I had to leave early. I think I stayed for a week. And I found a general area close to where you were at mm -hmm. where we had some success, but we burned it up. And we were stuck without anywhere to hunt. And that's right. where you kind of just went on your own and said, let me get on the ground and put boots on the ground to kind of find a new spot to hunt. And it came out to be successful for you. Yeah. So to break down that hunt, I know you initially mentioned to me before when that first happened that, you know, it was kind of lucky that you ended up in that spot. Yeah. I think you had some things playing in your favor. One, being as cold as it was, you probably weren't leaving a lot of ground scent. I wouldn't yeah, think. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't think either. So you could time. you could easily scout that entire area, and as long as you didn't bump a deer right. for, for it from it seeing you, yeah, it would have never known you were there anyways. So that deer probably even came from an area that you may have looked at, but you got set up. You got set up late. That deer came in. Uh, a few things that you did right that we talked about was one: you were obviously on the leeward side of the hill where the wind was in your face you were looking at that trail that was cutting across that hill that was real heavy yeah. you had thermals working for you pulling your scent down the hill it was an evening hunt you know and that deer was probably working that upper one third of the hill and he yeah. was scent checking the other side for that little dip where all the thick area where all the does were bedding he was yeah. scent checking it had no clue you were there because you were an overlooked spot you weren't far from the road and yeah. other people we had seen there hunting there all week, they were parking in the same spot you parked, and they were probably walking right past where you were hunting right. and hunting near one of those thickets or, yeah. or on that on that field edge where you saw those stands. They yeah. were probably hunting back there, and that yeah. deer knew it. That yeah. deer had patterned that other hunter to where he felt safe to come across and be that close to the road and where you were actually parking. Yeah, he definitely felt you know, safe. That, that deer area. probably patterned that hunter, and he was working around him. And that's why you were seeing the fresh sign in that real nice trail. Yeah. So, What was the date on that? Do you know? Oh, well, was it November? I date. It would have been mid to late November. All right, so the rut was probably kicking day. in. And oh, the, the rut was in, and, and that was, was... Ohio. Yeah, it was Ohio. That was, no joke, the coldest hunting trip I've ever been on in my life. I don't think it ever got above 15 degrees the entire 10 days we were there, yeah, and that's right. not an exaggeration. Yeah. It was too cold to have a fire. No, that's cold, but you know what? Yeah. It gets a deer up on their it feet early. It gets deer moving. Yeah, it sure does. That buck had a 15-inch piece of arrow with a broadhead in his back when I killed him. Yeah. He'd been shot that year. Yeah, that's yeah. weird about that spot. Cause, and then Joe, my younger brother, killed a buck there uh, the next year. Next year. 
And it had a broadhead and arrow stuck in its back. A broadhead and a scar from an arrow two different times that it got yeah, shot already. Yeah, it had been hit twice, and it had a fresh wound on it. Yeah, and he came past me first and looked right at me in a lock-on and a pinto, completely concealed, looked right at me with no wind to his advantage. And to me. busted you. He knew. <laughs> Somebody had probably <laughs> been hunting that stand before. He's been poked yeah. enough. Yeah, he's yeah. been poked That's, enough. He's been learning. Just, Man, there's deer That's out there. But it, is. it just goes to tell you how tough the whitetail is. That goes really into the behavior of those deer, too. I mean, they yeah. really learn. I mean, people say that they're they're a creature and they're they're kind of simple and they have their ways and they think about safety and things. But that's I mean that that's a learned behavior. One hundred percent doesn't take much to educate the deer. Yeah, you know, it doesn't take much at all. Yeah, that definitely says. I mean, you weren't the first person to sit in that tree. He knew something was up. Right. Especially if your wind wasn't in his favor and he you were concealed and you probably be yeah. still obviously, but yeah. So let's go into another story. Uh, why don't you tell us one of your favorite stories from hunting or, you know, maybe a, a story from your PA buck that you got this year, if you want to touch on that real quick. Uh, the PA buck this year was the same thing. It was a foot on the ground kind of deal. You know, I, I knew an area I wanted to be in. I knew that you guys hadn't really hunted it yet, so I wanted to check it out. And uh, I walked around that area a little bit, and I found – Decent sign, you know, some fresh sign, and that's what's key. You know, there can be sign there that you're not going to have success because it's a week old. But you good? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Better now. Um, what ended up happening with that? I mean, I didn't know that buck was in the air by no means. So in a way, you could say I got lucky on that right. terms, you know. But I knew there were bucks in the air based on the sign. You right. Know, just. The drops, the droppings, the uh, tracks I was seeing, and a little bit of fresh rubs and stuff around the area. I knew one existed there. Was I hunting a buck? No, I was hunting deer. I had a tag for either. I could have shot a buck or a doe, so I looked for the best sign I could. Well, you were hunting Pennsylvania public ground as well. Yeah, that's uh, it's that this place state that, land. Yeah, state land, yeah. place that we've hunted since we were kids. Yep, absolutely. Um, so why don't you go ahead and describe kind of the area you were in. Well, what that was, it's a uh, nice little bottom between private property and uh, there's a big hillside on the opposite side that the deer will feed down. It's not uh, unpassable by any means, but it's a little creek bottom basically that you know provides them a little bit of shelter. There's some thick stuff, but it's fairly open in most areas. And uh, when I found the tree, it was the same thing. You know, I found two really nice trails going through there, so I set up on one of those trees you talk about that's ugly <laughs> that's what it was it was a big tree it they're was always tough to get in but i could not find a better tree that gave me both them trails in 25 yards or better so that's what i ended up climbing and sure enough he come through early i want to say it was like 5 30 and it didn't get dark till seven quarter after at the time he come walking right down the hill straight at me out of what is public land straight down the hill yeah and uh, he came right down to that bottom, and he acted like he was sniffing around a little bit and walked right to me, basically. I didn't do anything. I didn't grunt him in. I didn't rattle him, nothing. I just let him come to natural, and he never stopped. That's the best way to have it, too. You don't yep. want to interfere yeah. at all. I mean, even if you don't even have to uh, bleed at him or grunt at him yeah. or anything to stop him, I mean, that's just ideal. That's yeah. best if they have no idea you're there. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that you were hunting down in that creek bottom. Did that deer come from, like, the mines? Um, he, no, he came from the public land the opposite way of the mine, straight down the hill. 
Okay, so he was probably bedded up on that hillside yeah. where he could just see and smell everything. Right, and there is more private land up that way that he's probably bedded down on when he originally got up. Right. But he came through all that public land to get to where I was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I shot him at about, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 yards, I want to say. He wasn't far. And put a pretty good shot on him, actually. I was a little unsure of it, so I did what I felt was right based on my experience in the past. And I went down, I went to where I shot him, I marked the first blood I found, and I didn't go 10 yards from where I shot him, and I heard something jump up and run. Mm -hmm. And I went, you know what, there was a lot of deer in the area at that time, it was dark, it was pitch black, and I could hear him all around me, they didn't know I was there, but I could hear him. And when I heard that one jump up from the way he ran off to, I said, well this could be bad, let me just get out of here. I marked it, I went, drove up to camp that night, came back the next morning, he didn't go 50 more yards from mm -hmm. where I'd heard him jump. He was down and dead. And it was pretty cool. He was a nice buck, nice 12 point, yeah. a lot of character on him. Gnarly buck. Gnarly. Very, Real cool, very gnarly, gnarly buck. Gnarly, yeah, yeah, definitely a shooter. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's a buck with some character that you just cannot pass up something cool like that with that little pitchfork at the end of his mm -hmm. main beam. That's really cool. Yeah, he's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of goes into you made a good point there about backing out. You weren't sure about your shot. You did the right move. Sometimes that's risky in Pennsylvania because of our coyote issue. And without, right. you know, and out there we've lost some deer to coyotes. But I think all in all, you did the right move. Hearing a deer get up and run away, typically at night, not a lot of deer are bedded. Right. You know, so um, it turned out to be the right move for you, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. We definitely do have that coyote problem where, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard from countless people. They let their deer lay overnight, and they're going to go get them back in the morning. And they come up, and I mean, half their deer's gone. Yeah, it happens all the time. It happens right. all the time. I mean, even I mean, it's kind of worse that you have when people have a buck that that happens too. But I mean, more than it not, is more than not. It's, that happened to us this year. I won't ruin uh, the episode, and it might come in the future and a story in the future. But that happened to us. We were trailing the deer. We let lay for two hours, mm -hmm. three hours, and it was half eaten. It doesn't take long, man. And we could hear him howling when we were walking up to go continue the blood trail. We could hear all the coyotes howling in the distance. And we like immediately thought, oh, no, they might be on your deer. Jokingly kind of said it, but they were. They were there. I mean, there was droppings in the area, and they had eaten half of his deer. He lost an entire backstrap. And Crazy. So, I mean, that definitely happens. But So, going to then, Russ, um, I know... You're one of the people that I would definitely have on my blood tracking list of top three to call whenever I need someone to track a deer for me. Why don't we kind of talk about that, a roundtable talk about blood tracking and kind of the techniques that we use to be successful in retrieving a deer? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, we can talk about that. Um, we've obviously had a lot of experiences, you know. I don't know how many deer between all of us we've killed, but I guess it's over 200. And mm -hmm. uh Obviously, you don't track all of them, but the right. ones we have, we've had some interesting goes, and we've had some really good recoveries. You know, you got to give us some credit for that because we are persistent if for nothing else. Right. And, uh, you know, there's been times, I think it was you actually, I recall, we were tracking a deer and we were losing the blood, and you figured out that about every three steps you took, you'd find a speck. And right. then 
you started doing that, and that got us back on the trail, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards down to right. where it was good again. But how hard would that have been had you not figured something like that out? Just a little right. thing like that can help you. Yeah, sometimes connecting that little bit, maybe like you said, 30, 40 yards of bad blood, right. connecting yeah. that to jump back mm-hmm. on to where the deer, yeah. you know, maybe he started sprinting, something spooked right. him, uh, you know, to get back onto that good blood. Sometimes little things like that help. Yeah, I mean, even you might just even see a hair, and I mean, try and find a hair in all those oak leaves and stuff. I mean, that's right. Yeah. And then you yeah. got people like, uh, like Rob. He's mm-hmm. red and green colorblind. I mean, oh, my dad. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. he needs somebody really to come with him, and I mean, if there's a ton of blood, he's going to see it. But right. if it's spotty, I mean, he's really he's really at a disadvantage. I mean, yeah, if it's wet too, they know, can't tell. Wet, everything glaring. I mean, that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's their worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's even times where you might not have the blood, but you might be able to pick up a little disturbance or something just from a track. And I mean, we're not expert trackers in that way. We're not Navajos. No, right. <laughs> we didn't come from that, but <laughs> yeah, you can see that sometimes. You know, yeah. given the, the circumstances are right. You know, a, a heavily uh, polluted oak leaf area. Mm-hmm. It's going to be just a little scuffed up in some spots. And you know which way that blood trail is typically going. And you can look ahead and you can follow that. Just based on that, I've done it numerous times. Right. Just a little scuff in the ground. And uh, that might jump you ahead 20, 30 yards and save you all the aggravation in the mm-hmm. world. I think we get that from Dad as well because, like you mentioned, he's, he's colorblind. Yeah. So he takes attention to detail and finds those right. little bits and things that he looks for because he's not really good at seeing blood. He lets us look for the blood. He right. looks for that little he's bit of sign. He's taking it to the next level. Yeah. He's kind of works out ahead a little yeah. bit, you know, and looks for little signs and different things that uh, help him. But Yeah, think of our, our best tracking crew that we put together. It's typically you and our brother Joe. Mm-hmm. You're back on the blood. I'm with you on the blood until we get a direction, and then I'll look ahead and I'll see if I can't find where I think they're headed, and I'll jump out ahead, and I'll be 30 to 50 yards in front of you guys that way looking for a fresh sign that might show me some blood. And Dad, who's colorblind but sees all the detail in the world, he's just scanning the area, big circles all around us, and if we start changing directions, we make him change directions. And that has worked out so many times, it's unbelievable. Yeah, we have a really good method going on. I think that we've kind of perfected. We're almost like a well-oiled machine at this point. (laughs) Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You're on enough blood trails. You're going to start figuring it out one way or another. We know our role. Whether you got lung blood or whether you got liver blood. I mean, you're looking for the bubbles in anything. I think think the main point of it, in general, blood tracking, you just got to be persistent. You got to give that deer every effort that you have to try and find it. I mean, you owe it that much. Yeah, absolutely. And we do. Um, you know, we put a lot of time in looking to try to recover deer. It's it's archery hunting. A lot of things can happen to affect your shot in a, the smallest thing. You know eventually, I mean? it's going to happen to everybody. Right. I mean, you're going to lose a deer eventually. I right. mean, it's, it, happens. It, yeah. it, it happens. You might think you put the best shot on it, and it, it really wasn't the best shot. Mm-hmm. But, right. you know, I mean. Even more importantly, I think keeping a positive attitude is that's a big part of it as well. Oh, for you know, sure. For sure. Stay you, positive. Yeah, as soon as you start getting negative and you kind of give up on looking, I, I never want to quit. I think I put yeah. more effort into finding someone else's deer than right. my own because I don't want, I know the feeling of losing a deer. Oh, I don't it's want terrible. You're else. almost like sick to your stomach. Right. I don't want anyone I mean, else feeling that kind of feeling. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, to move on to a more positive note, Russ, what is your 
favorite kind of deer? What what kind of deer really like trips your trigger? Are you a big rack guy? Are you a big body guy? I mean, are you looking for an age class deer, like an older deer? What what are you really looking for? I, I wouldn't say I'm really any of those things. Um, obviously, I try to kill a mature deer. Um, but again, in PA, you know, there's times you might go a whole season and you don't even get an opportunity at a buck after you passed on. I'm talking a nice buck. You know, you might have passed on a dozen little rack eight points that year. But that's what you have to do if you want to shoot a big buck. Oh, yeah. No, I've had those seasons. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you the number of times the first week archery I could have filled my buck tag with a legal buck. But he was just a small one. Yep. Because he was right there. He, I've he kicked myself for that. I needed. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've so, seen one like the second day that was pretty respectable buck and i probably should have shot it but i was like ah, i know there's bigger deer in the area and then come the end of the season i'm like i'm gonna pull yeah. my doe tag instead that one. yeah yeah uh, i mean i try to avoid shooting anything that i don't feel like is a decently mature deer no uh, and, and it's not necessarily it has to have a giant rack but you could tell they got the big bodies on them or Whatever, they might have real good mass, but not a lot of rack to them. But they, you could tell they're mature. And there's a yeah. lot of characteristics that you see in a deer when it's coming through that you know if it's a bigger deer or not. Yeah, and you got to think in Pennsylvania, we have, uh, what, when did it start? Probably around 2002, 2003, we enacted antler restrictions. So oh, yeah. back then, I think in 1A, it was what, four on one side, and up the mountains, it was three on one side. Yeah. yeah. Now we have. Most of the state is three on one side, and there's select counties that are three up, not yeah. including the brow time. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's us. We're the three up. You we're know, we're up. in that trophy area, they call it. Yep. Um, but, you know, overall, the, the way I typically go about my season is, obviously, we do some scout and we put some cameras out like most avid hunters do. And sometimes you find that deer on your camera. Sometimes you don't. And sometimes you know one's lived from the year before because you see them at the end of you know rifle season. The right. chances they die muzzle are really slim. Very slim, yeah. So you know ones are in the area. And uh, what I do, I don't shoot anything if I don't think it's going to be a Pope and Young buck or better. And to me, if you can shoot a Pope and Young buck in PA, you really put your time in and you know you did the right things. You You're doing right something moves. right for you sure. You don't get lucky. You don't shoot five of those just being lucky. No, no, you that, gotta that's good. You got to be in the good. woods. And you got to have a clue what you're doing. So, I'll pass on a lot of bucks every year that are, I'd say eighty to a hundred, hundred and ten class bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, you know, you just they're one. They're fun to watch and right. like grow because you know back when you guys were young, I wasn't that young anymore. I had shot some deer. I had some under my belt. So when I saw them bucks. I was excited. I wanted right. you guys to shoot them. Oh, oh yeah. Certainly. So it was easy for me to let them walk by, even back when I was, you know, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, I can remember you all the time saying, hey, I saw a nice seven point you got to get in that area, and yeah. you got to go get them. You got to right. take them down. That'd be a great first buck for you. Yeah. And, I mean, you, like we talked about earlier, you, you earned the nickname the horseshoe for a reason. You put down some really great bucks back in that time yeah i mean bucks that you you mounted that are on your wall that still right. kind of hold up next to the other ones and this is in a time where we talked about the last episode where you did not see bucks no not of yeah. that caliber there was no antler restrictions back then either no no antler restrictions i mean brown it's down yeah. and, and rifle season there were a lot more hunters back then too oh, yeah. yeah and people just put deer on the ground you know, but it, it's kind of funny too. I mean, you think about back then. I mean, it wasn't really even that long ago. It was probably ten years ago. Right. And there's more height now about inches and everything like that. But you got to think back then. 
if you filled your buck tag, you were the man. And you mm-hmm. know what? Most people were like, oh, I shot a six point. It wasn't, oh, I shot a 110-inch six point or I shot a 140-inch yeah. eight point. Right. It was, I shot an eight point or right. I shot a 10 point or, you know, and that was a really big deal back then. I mean. Yeah. You know what's nice I just thought about is that when you were saying that is the same thing. Nobody back then said, I shot a six-pointer, but, you know, he's not the biggest buck I ever saw. No. It, yeah. That did not happen. No, back then, it was excited. you shot a buck. No. Nobody asked how many points were on it. Yeah. No. You shot a buck. That's awesome. You yeah. know, that was a celebratory thing. Shooting buck back then, in general, it was a spike. Yeah. It was You were the man. Yeah. i give know? you a good example of that. Uh, the first buck I ever shot, I was 15 years old. I shot it with a bow, and... Uh, my dad, who had been hunting his entire life since, I don't think he started a little later than 12, but I want to say he was 16, 18. We called that buck Mr. Big. Yeah. I've passed on probably 10 dozen bucks bigger than that <laughs> since, you know? Right. It's just back then, though, that was a big buck. He had a rack on him. He had mass. You know, he wasn't huge. He's lucky if he scores 100 points. Yeah. But, you know, at the time, in that frame, back when... PA wasn't on the antler restrict, restriction thing. That was big. Right. You know, a four point back then people got excited over because so, they were just so rare to find. Everybody killed everything. Yeah. I actually so, got a funny story a about a four way. point. Yeah. My first uh my first buck ever was a four point. I got it uh I got it in a rifle season. But I remember I was so excited that I filled my my buck tag. Mm-hmm. I went into school the next day after that and I went to my math teacher. He actually lived up in uh Forest County. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Mr. Fry. <laughs> and uh, I went in, and it was right before class, and I set my license down on his on his desk, and my buck tag was missing, and he was just like, no way. <laughs> like, yeah. And then I showed him pictures and stuff like that, because I had a Polaroid back then. And I showed him a picture of it, and he go. was like, that's awesome. You know, he was so excited for me. And it was just a little dinker. I mean, it was barely a four-point. Uh, it didn't matter. Then. Yeah, no, it was awesome. So that kind of defines you then, I think, Russ. I mean, you're a guy that tries to kill the biggest buck in the area that you're hunting yeah you I know mean, even back then like you said he was mr big that was the deer you were targeting that's the one you were yeah. after you know trying to maximize potential every year maybe occasionally we'll get really big bucks on camera yeah um or you'll see a really big buck right. and a nice buck comes by a week later and you may feel your tag on him yep but I think also what helps you, you can pass deer early in the season because, like you said, your work schedule is great. You have four on, four off. Right. So you know you're going to hunt a lot. I get a lot of days. Now, I, because of that schedule, obviously not being on hunt Sunday, I don't get half the season. Right. But I get a lot of the season that, you know, I appreciate having that more right. than anything. Yeah, for I sure. I love to be in the woods. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think all of us here do, really. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's what we live for. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're waiting. I mean, it's spring. We're turkey hunting and everything. But we're just, like, counting down the day to archery season. Yeah. Right. Coming up quick. It is. It's, I was just it thinking is coming about up it. quick. September 29th. And just because you can't be in the woods hunting on Sunday, don't mean you can't be scouting and doing other things. So oh, for sure, works to my advantage. So. Yeah, yeah, I like riding around on Sundays and just with my binoculars looking at fields and stuff, just yeah. trying to trying to get an eye on a buck. And yeah, nothing wrong with that. You can <laughs> find a lot of deer in an area just spot in the area if they have the fields and the accessibility to do it. Oh, for sure. You know that buck's living there at least. Yeah. You, know, you might not have seen him yet that year, but at least you know he's there. Yeah. Right. We used to do a lot of spotting. We are younger, mm-hmm. a lot more. Um, we used to spot, uh, I mean, all the time. We'd go out, and back then, I was too young probably to even hunt some of the times. And, you know, it was fun for us to just kind of make a trip out of it to go and right. spend a couple hours riding around in the truck looking at deer. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. 
I try and use that to my advantage now, especially now that we're yeah. on yeah. X, right around. Yeah. You see a good buck and it's on a piece that you think you can get on. I mean, go and find that landowner and really just I, around here kind of beg them for permission to uh, right. to hunt. And chances are there's somebody already on it, like their nephew or their grandson or something like that. But Right. Great transition, by the way. Um, <laughs> let's go right into uh, talking to Russ about how he gets permission. Yeah. Because he's probably the one person that I know that is very successful at getting us great permission on, on great land. I, there's been times I've been turned down, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I will say one thing of, you know, let's, let's say I asked 20 people to hunt their property. On average, two of them say no. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of being willing to go talk to people, you know, and being a decent person towards them and making them understand that you respect their property and you're not going to do anything to, you know, damage in any way or littering. That's a big pet peeve of mine. You know, I, I'm the guy and I got that from my father and you guys probably were, it was instilled in you just the same. Right. You don't litter ever. I, I mean, I don't care if it's a gum wrapper or a, pop can and one of our sayings is you could carry that into the woods when it was full but you couldn't carry it out empty right yeah that's and a great no excuse to live by honestly mm-hmm. you know, i, I that's that's bad for me that's a pet peeve again i, I hate it yeah. so you need the landowner to understand that's where you come from and that's the kind of person you are you're a respectful person you know and all you want to do is hunt deer and some landowners they might have like special requests like i don't want you shooting this deer mm-hmm. you know even kellogg he said the one day you know i got three does that come in here and they feed my yard at the time i like watching them right well guess what you don't have to buy his house but he still lets you hunt his property mm-hmm. so you don't shoot them those you know right you make sure they're happy and you make sure they're comfortable with you being there and you just you try to be a decent respectful person and usually that's going to work out for you in the long run um, most people just want to know who's on their land Right. They don't mind that you hunt, and they especially don't mind that you archery hunt because arrows don't go through people's windows. You know, and that kind of accidents happen all the time in rifle season. People are, uh, they, they neglect certain things, and they, they don't think of certain safety things because they see a deer, and that's all they're thinking about is shooting that deer. And that's why some of the bad things do happen. But, uh, you know, all in all, just do your best to be a good person towards them and make them understand you are one, and they're probably going to say okay. Yeah, you that kind of goes into uh, yeah. when when you're respectful and they tell you, you know, close this gate when you go in or, right. you know, don't litter, right. don't don't shoot those three does that I like to watch. If you don't do that and you're respectful and, you know, you're going to get the invite back next year yeah, if you absolutely. go and ask. I mean, if you don't and you're you're just kind of being a turd about it and you leave a bunch of litter and you, you, you park where you're not supposed to and you leave that gate open and his cows get out, I mean – Guess what? You're not coming back and hunting there anymore. Right, and right. You know what? That's ruining it for everybody else, too, because he's not going to trust anybody. Right. Yeah. I am, And going into that, uh, you mentioned about bow hunting. Do you think because we typically go up and, and ask for permission to bow hunt, do you think that helps and how you get permission? And how do you approach that when you first ask them for permission? I mean, typically, that's one of the first things I say. You know, I, I walk up there. The first thing I do is I hold my hand out and I introduce myself, you know, my name's Russ Hedlund and usually they respond back with their name and you shake their hand and you say, you know, I'm just looking for a new area to hunt. You know, I'm a avid archery hunter and, you know, explain that to them that you're going to see me here 
with a bow in my hand and uh you know if you don't want me to rifle hunt or anything like that if you're uncomfortable with that that's perfectly okay with me and one time <laughs> kind of funny you know, it's a little off topic but <laughs> i went and asked for permission to archery hunt one time and the guy said you know I got a few guys hunting here already, archery, and I really don't want to mess them up. So he was respectful towards them. And right. he said, but you can fish that lake if you want. <laughs> so you never know what you're going to get. That's kind of sweet, actually. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't the bass pond, was it? It was uh, the Edinburgh Pond, the corner yeah. out there. Yeah. Okay. He, he told me I could fish it. So, you know, just, again, you know, introduce yourself, be a decent person, and it's going to work out for you more times than not. And the only time it usually doesn't, is one if they've had really bad experiences with people in the past and they, mm -hmm. they're just fed up which that's someone ruining it for everyone or two they have kids or relatives or family members whatever friends that are already hunting that property and then i mean at that point it's kind of it's off limits you know there was no yes ever going to come out of that so that's yeah. that's not against you but the worst thing that can happen is they say no <laughs> and you know i that's the way i look at it i say you know what this property looks great. I find out who owns it. I find out where they live. I go talk to them. Some people say, kill all the deer you want. You know, real farmers around here, they don't like deer. They're bad. Yep. You know, and other people say, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'd like for you to be able to hunt, but you can't for this reason. And they're always, it's usually a good conversation. I've never had a problem with anybody. Yeah. So that's, to anybody out there listening, that'd be my best advice is just ask. Because the worst you're going to say is no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's it going to do? Is it going to hurt your feelings? I mean, just go right. out there and really ask. I mean, you actually said out of maybe 20 people, you might get turned down by two. That's yeah, really that's high rare. odds. I mean, it's that's... very rare. It's usually yeah. people are okay with it. Yeah. And, you know, you're going in respectful. You're shaking their hand. You're probably not going in after work right. covered in dirt and everything. Exactly. You're probably yeah. wearing halfway decent clothes and stuff like that you know and just be presentable yeah you know look like a, a decent person yeah that's all it takes yeah i can remember when you got permission from jimmy smith up the mountain yeah. <laughs> that's the one that always sticks out to me that was crazy he was outside shooting his gun yeah he's out <laughs> shooting a pistol and we're pulling up into his driveway down this just straight dead end driveway middle of nowhere middle of nowhere <laughs> on the top of a mountain and you're we're pulling up and uh, the guy's out shooting his gun and we're like there ain't no way in hell he's getting permission for back here. And you're out there for a while. I remember you guys were talking there for like half an hour almost. <laughs> yeah. And you come back in and we're like, well, what'd he say? Yeah, we, we can park here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we were all just totally thrown up. Because that, that was my very first year ever hunting. I was 12 years old. Right. And you guys before that had to climb up a mountain up an old yeah. logging road that zigzagged up the mountain the whole way very inaccessible so inaccessible we got a map and found this guy that lived that lived about a mile away from where we wanted to hunt but it was flat yeah there was no hill that's right. huge didn't yeah. shorten the walk it just made it way easier it just made it way easier yeah. and i remember that story will stick out forever i'll remember that till dad died jimmy smith and his name yeah, you're never gonna forget that name. Yeah. No. What a great guy, though. He let us park there for years afterwards yeah. until we stopped going to that spot. And That's awesome. Do you remember what we did to thank him for that? Yeah, we uh, gave him some food. Yeah, we gave we him gave deer, him deer meat. meat. Yep. We uh, we would just show up on his doorstep and uh, we'd have a whole bag full of packaged, processed, yeah. packaged deer meat, and he was forever thankful. He didn't want that. No, he but didn't he ask was, for anything. No, but we did that little bit. To uh, you know, keep them thankful, and I know we give like Christmas cards to yeah, some of them. Yeah. That, that's something you should do. I mean, these people are willing to let you hunt on our property, and they're gonna 
give you the memories that you're getting from that. You know, like you, you said, it was the first time you'd ever rifle hunted at 12 right. years old and you got to shoot a deer, mm -hmm. you know, and you saw multiple other ones. And I think the one year we hauled out five or six on one deer car. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> Limbs sticking out everywhere. We're trying yeah. to pack them all on top. That, that's my point though. You'll never forget that, yep. you know, and all because he said it's fine. You know, yeah. he allowed you to do that. So you have to be thankful and you have to show appreciation like that. And uh, those people, they see that and they, they pay it right back to you, you know. So that's the way to go about it. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you, landowners. Yep. Yep. And do work for them if necessary. I know I still have to get out to Lagos and fix the fence that my buck ran through this year. <laughs> oh, <bro. man. laughs> I'll tell you what, that that fence kind of saved you all bet. That deer, oh, man. Yeah, it did. Ran square into that fence and just, oh. We'll get into that, that in another episode. Yeah, we'll talk about that episode. <laughs> Such a good story. It is a great story. So, All right. Well, what else we got here? Well, I want to... You mentioned just going out and talking to people to get permissions, great advice. But with you being an avid hunter and being very successful, I mean, you obviously know what you're doing. What would be one piece of advice, your best piece of advice to give to a new hunter? Uh, I would say patience. Patience is really key. And not just with, with deer hunting, um, with everything. There's... There's so much to be learned. I mean, if you're an impatient person, it doesn't really fit you, you know, hunting-wise. You just can't be that person that's jittery, can't sit around very long, you know. You have to be able to sit around and, and wait for the opportunities to come to you. And uh, you definitely have to be able to learn from your mistakes. You know, when something bad does happen, figure out why, that, you know, Everything worked out great, and all of a sudden, it didn't. Why? What happened? Mm -hmm. He says learning experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, share that with other people, too, so they don't have that same problem. You know, that's something I would tell a newer hunter, um, that, and just listen to I know some people might seem crazy when they say certain things, but just listen to everything you're told. Yeah. I've always been really good at that. That doesn't mean what you were told is right or true, but listen to it, absorb it, try to make something out of it, try to prove it wrong at, at worst, you know, and then if it doesn't work for you, brush it to the side and then just collect those things that do work. And eventually, you know, it all builds up and you're going to be a good hunter. If you're willing to be that kind of person, it's going to work out eventually. It's going to take time. So persistence, like we yeah. we touched on Persistence earlier. is big. That's yeah. solid advice. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to touch on something that just hit me totally off topic um, that I wanted to talk about with you. So every year we hold our annual killing grill. I love the killing grill. <laughs> and you host it at your house. <laughs> right. You know better than I do because you've been going to them longer than I've been going to them. And why don't you talk about kind of the origin of the killing grill? Um who created it, who started it, and kind of your memories of it and what it's become today because it's a great event. I mean, there's so many people, our friends and family that go there, all kinds of good people just show up, yeah. eat a lot of food, and talk deer stories. So why don't you give us kind of a, a runabout of the Killing Grill? Well, I'll, I'll say this. It's before I was even able to go do that. You know, it happened even before me. Right. And I want to say when I started going was like the fifth or sixth one. So, I mean, it definitely came from the Headland side of the family. 
Um, who started it? I don't know. You know, I, I would assume it was, uh, you know, a combination of all the headlands that hunted and the family members that shoot off of that. Uh, whether it was like Weatherby and uh, I can't think of the other guy's name, but you know, it had been around before me, and it's a great time. And what you gain from that is a lot of what I was just talking about with learning experience and stuff. Everybody stands around, you know, we all know each other, we hang out, we have a few beers, you know, we have great food. Everybody brings their best dish, basically. Mm -hmm. And the garage is just filled with food. If you leave there hungry, shame on you. You're a vegan if you leave hungry. That's, that's a good that's how I like it. Yeah. You're actually probably not invited if you're a vegan. <laughs> um, but it's a great time because you catch a lot of stories from people and their experiences throughout that year and why they were successful, you know, what they killed, where they went, uh, how they hunted, different things like that. So it, I recommend it. You know, anybody out there that's an avid hunter with a family history of it or even just friends, you know, if you got enough of them, get together, do it once a year, do the same thing, you know, cook out, everybody bring a meal over, hang out by a fire and just talk about it, you know, and you're going to learn so much from that. You know what's cool about the Kill and Grill? There's a lot of people there that are hunters. There's also a lot of people there that are not hunters. We have a ton of people that are friends and family that don't hunt, that just love to come experience the food, the different yeah. the different types of game that we uh, harvest throughout the year, the different fish and different things that we get. And they just love to come and hear all the stories and kind of sit down and talk with all t- kinds of different people because we're all alike. Even though they don't hunt, we're all alike. They share the same yeah, interests, um, maybe of the outdoors or maybe they just really like the food. And I don't blame them for that either. Yeah. Right. Or just big supporters of us as the hunter, you know, right. your wife or girlfriend or, you know, our mother. And she's mm-hmm. always supported it. You know, and you need that. And when you're a big hunter, you need that support because there's going to be times where things are down and you're like, you know, <laughs> this is rough. I've been hunting for three weeks. I haven't got a shot yet. Right. I've been in the woods 15 times, whatever. You need people like that around you, especially, you know, the killing girls a great time for everybody. You know, that's why we do it. We, we do it for the memories and uh, to just enjoy great food. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's a really good time. And I mean, it's not just venison or anything either that people are no. bringing. I mean, people are bringing everything. I mean, we hunt rabbits all year. People bring right. turkey. I mean, I think I've seen beaver there yeah. and yeah. bear, I mean, bear mahi, and mahi. geese and ducks and... Yep. I mean, a little bit of everything. I mean, it really is really neat. Yeah, turtle. Yeah, groundhog even. I mean, groundhog's actually delicious. I wasn't expecting that, but... We've got some good stuff. Yeah, no, it's really a good time. It's all about the camaraderie. You know, even if somebody's kind of on the fence about about hunting and you invite them to something like that and they do enjoy food in general and they, they try some of the dishes that people bring, I mean, that's... They hear people talking about the hunting stories, and I mean, no one that comes is really disrespectful or anything like that uh-huh. about telling stories, and they're all really tasteful, and it's it's a good time. Yeah. No, I recommend it for anybody, like you said. Uh, so, speaking of that, all the different types of game, what else do you hunt besides deer? Oh man, I, what do you really enjoy hunting? Well, my favorite deer, thing to hunt, is, obviously, would be deer, but. Uh, Small game is one of the things that I love to hunt, um, specifically rabbits. There's just something about bringing the beagles out here and barking, you know, in the snow. And bunny hunting's a good time. I mean, you you guys all love it too. Oh yeah. Um, 
Turkey hunting's a good time. I find myself not doing as much as I should. I just, I don't have as much passion for it. When I get out, I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I wish I'd do it more. It's just, it seems like when it falls, it's either archery season in the fall for turkey where you're more concerned about deer. Right. Or in the spring, it's like everything's happening because we finally got through our ridiculous winters we get in PA. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you, you can't get outside hardly at all. So once the, the weather starts turning a little during the spring gobbler, you're doing other things or, you know, your plate's just full of stuff from all winter. So I, I have a lot of trouble getting out. I'm really happy if I can do it two, three times a year. But the turkey is definitely a good time. I recommend it to anybody. And there's a lot of learning experience that comes with that, too. Oh, yeah. I've been taught oh, yeah. so many lessons by that big bird with that little brain. Mm -hmm. so it, it's unreal. Big <laughs> bird with the little brain. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you used to hunt dove and different yeah, things too yeah, back. I did some dove hunting back when you were younger. I still like shooting doves. I love eating them, but you just gotta shoot so, so many of them. They're little brass. Yeah. good, but I hunted just about everything. I'd say at one point or another, and more than once, most of it. Just uh, deer's the one thing that stuck. It's the one thing I kept a passion for that I'm, I'm willing to really spend some time and pursue would you say you're distracted <laughs> that's why i can't get out and spring all the time get distracted yeah a little too distracted with the white tails <laughs> oh that's like funny. It. Like it. well with you being an avid deer hunter and we're getting close to time here but i know you've told a couple stories so far but do you have any any hunt that really sticks out in your mind that you'd like to tell or anything else you'd really like to talk about Ah, that's, that's, it's so hard to pick one hunt, you know, I mean, I can tell you stories right now that happened 20 years ago, like they were just yesterday. You just remember so much from them. There's something about hunting that like you just remember all them details at the time. Oh yeah. Um, I, I'd mentioned the buck I killed when I was 15. I could tell you a little story about that. You know, that was... That's something I, you know, at the time I was 15 years old, I wasn't real experienced with hunting at all. And we were really fresh into archery. My dad had just started back into it from when he was young, you know, so he was kind of learning and everything too, but he knew how to hunt. He knew how to read sign and all that. And, uh, this was, this would have been our third actual year of archery hunting. The first two were kind of lackluster. So we just, we didn't know what we were doing yet. You know, we we're just learning. Right. So he had, he had bought me a really nice bow at the time, which today, you know, you'd giggle at if you've seen it. But uh, we went out and we did like we're all talking about. You know, you scouted. We found a spot. There were some nice trails. And uh, we set up a ladder stand there because that was the most logical thing for me at 15 years old was climb up and do a ladder. And back then, you didn't have range finders. They didn't exist. Yeah. So we paced off and we put ribbon up. And, I used to do the same. Yeah, yeah I remember that oh, now. Yeah. We, we used to do a lot. Yeah, that's all we had. Yep. So we had to. And uh, we marked off my 15-yard, my 20-yard, my 25-yard. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, I don't know to this day if I'm as good a shot as I was back when I was 15. That's how much I used to shoot a bow. Yeah. I mean, it was you one of You had to, really, man. It I was mean, two, three hours every day, every chance I got. I mean, I was shooting... The face on the dollar bill, I probably shouldn't say that, but <laughs> <laughs> I could hit it every time at 25 yards. I mean, that's how good I got. Allegedly uh, shooting a dollar bill. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but we picked that stand out and it was a really cool hunt because it was just me and my dad and it was the first buck I ever killed. 
And uh, the funny part about the story is, you know, it was during the rut. I dropped something out of my ladder. Now, you all know how easy it is to just jump out of a ladder, get something, <laughs> come back in. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's too easy. You can practically run <laughs> down with that. So I used my bow rope. Which I forget what I tied off to the end of it. And I'm trying to grab my face mask, I believe it was. It fell off. And I'm leaning over the edge of my ladder and just trying to fish for it. And I just couldn't quite get it. And I finally get it. I pull it all the way up. Start putting it on. I look to my right. Here comes this buck chasing a doll up the hill. <laughs> he had no clue I was there. I mean, doing all that, that stuff, you know, that uh, I got away with somehow. Probably because they were rotten then. But uh, yeah. he come right back down that hill, 25 yards. He was at a slow walk. And I was perfectly comfortable taking that shot. And I hit him perfect. He went... 50, 60 yards and died. And that was the story about Mr. Big I told you earlier. We nailed him. And I, I don't know if I ever seen my dad happier about a deer killed. You know, he was fist pumping, high-fiving me. That's it was awesome. so cool. The coyote howl? Did he, did he have the coyote howl no, back then? No, that came later. That <laughs> <I progressed. laughs> That's awesome, man. That was, was a great story, it really. It was cool. He does get really excited when we kill deer, as all of us do. Yeah, yeah we that, love to see each other. should be. Yeah. yeah. Where'd yeah. you take that buck at? Was that down Beaver? Beaver. Yep. Yeah. Beaver's a sweet spot. Lots Beaver. of ticks, but it's sweet. Lots of ticks, yeah. but it is a great spot. Huh. So, uh, one other thing I did want to touch on, too, was what kind of bow you're shooting. Because um, you've influenced me on this subject. The bow I shoot right now is a Matthews Journal, and it's about 10 years old. Um, actually, in the process, probably by next week or the week after, I will have a new one. Do it. It'll be a Matthews triad. Do oh, it. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I heard so many good things. I can't pass that off. Dude, it out. is a laser, and it is dead yep. quiet. Yeah, we I, shot one probably oh. three weeks ago, and I'm still dreaming about it. My bow's four years old, and I oh. almost pulled the trigger on one. It's It got bow of the year. It did. Yeah. yeah. It did. It, dude, it, wait, you sh- have you shot it yet? No. no it is so fast and so quiet for a tiny little bow. I mean, oh. And we I shot it. It was imagine. bare bow. No sight. No, no sight or anything. No yeah. stabilizer. Nothing on right. it. And it was just like no hand shock. No sound. It just went boom, boom, boom. Crazy. Right into the target. And I, in the new grips they have, those, what are the focus grip. I don't know what they're called, but they have they're a new grip. They're not the wood grips. They're, they're nice little... wood. It, yeah, it, it's rubberized, but it, yeah. it, it's oh hard textured just, rubber. Yes. It fits your hand like a dream. Oh, nice. Those bows are amazing. You're going to oh, love it. forward to it. You're gonna <laughs> yeah. Love it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you my old bow. <laughs> and you're going to give me that new triax. Right, cool. <laughs> we got a deal. But yeah, you definitely influence not only me, but both our other brothers. We all shoot Matthews now. Yeah. You know, I shoot the Creed XS, uh, John shoots the Creed, and Joe shoots, is it the Z7 or something along that line? Another, a different uh, Matthews, too. I'm not but. sure which one he ended up with. Uh, one thing I will say, uh, as much as I love Matthews and I've always stuck with them, there's other good bows on the market. Don't mm-hmm. get fixed on the name so much because there's, there's so much technology now that goes into these things that, you know, your Hoyts and your Bowtex. I shoot um, a Hoyt. Yeah. I was turned on by that by you're, that triax, man. That thing was sweet. I'm telling PSCs, you. PSCs. I mean, they're all they're all using modern technology that's making these bows way more than capable of killing deer. So mm-hmm. don't get fixed on, you know, I got to buy this bow. It's $1,100. I don't know if I can afford it. There's $500 bows out there with sights and rest on them that are more than substantial for a beginning yeah. hunter. 
to go grab and get out in the woods with and you can be efficient with them just like any other bow so yeah oh yeah i mean you said your bow's 10 years old my bow's 10 years old i'm still killing deer with it i mean there's nothing wrong with it but (laughs) the new technology it's there is is sweet i mean that triax is awesome they've come a long way in 10 years my Um, last two bows both last me 10 years oh yeah i mean you don't need to buy a new bow every year i mean people that tell you need to buy a new bow every year i mean that's just that's kind of out of control. Right. Even if you sell your old boat, you're still spending hundreds three, of dollars three, trying to get a new bucks, bow everywhere. Yeah. That that's out of control. Which is nice though, because for people that can't afford a brand new bow, they can go out there and look for these people that buy a new bow every year and right. get one on eBay down. or something. Yeah, yeah, go on eBay and get a get yeah. a two or three year old bow that is way above and beyond a ten year old bow. Right. For five six hundred bucks. Yep. Right. Yeah, so. Absolutely. No, I bought mine new four don't years ago, but it. yeah, don't overlook those. I think that's where John and, and our dad, that's what he does. He shoots bow tech, but he'll go in and he'll look for that guy that bought a bow that wanted to shoot a bow, but then, you know, maybe they lost the passion or they didn't have the time for it. And a year yeah. later, they're selling a bow that's been shot a handful of times and he's yeah. getting a brand new bow for four, $500 less than what he would usually pay for. Yeah, that's a great way to get into a good bow too, man. That's Absolutely. Yep. For a good price. I mean, it's no different. A guy buys a new car every two years. They don't need it. Yeah. Right. You know, people just like the new bow or the new They whatever, just want it. So. The new. They want new. Yeah. Feed off of them people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Seriously. Take advantage. Seriously. All of that. Yeah. Well, uh, we're getting here close to time. Rust, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? You got any, any pointers or tactics or anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to mm-hmm. put out there? I mean, I think you guys did a pretty good job covering a lot of the bases. I mean, I didn't really write anything down to bring to you. I figured that was your job. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's good. That's yeah. good. Didn't mean uh, for it to be like an interview style, but I yeah, think it not. turned out pretty good. We got some good stories out there, too. Yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. I mean, you covered most of your points there that you wanted to, and I, I think it worked out pretty well. Excellent. I hope somebody took something from this. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think was... it'd be hard not to. I mean, it would... You're you're pretty informed. I mean, you gave some good details and some great tactics. Your advice was solid. I mean, that's that's all we could ask for, really. There's a reason you were our first guest. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, seriously, the horseshoe. The horseshoe. The shoe. The, shoe. the, the original shoe. shoe. The original shoe. My bad. I'm sorry. Shout it out has, to the shoe. Yes, it has since fallen out and rolled into someone else's ass, but we'll we'll cover that later. I give him my lucky hat. That's what I <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Charles, is there anything else you wanted to throw in there? Before? No, man, I'm good. I I was going through and trying to touch on everything that I knew, um, but I think we had a great episode, and we could wrap this thing up. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, if anybody out there wants to give us any uh, any comments or concerns or anything, you can email us at the whitetail distraction podcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook at the whitetail distraction podcast. We are on Podbean and iTunes. Feel free to give us a uh, a look and a listen. And uh, if you really enjoy it, give us a five star review or a thumbs up. And uh, yeah, more to come. We'll try to bust out. this out. Get you another one next week. Absolutely. Have a good one, guys. All right. Thanks, Russ. No problem. Thanks, man. The distraction's real.